Hello, and welcome to the Heaven Bound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus. We are opening the Bible in search of fuel for your spiritual journey. This is where we talk about life, the way it was meant to be, and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Thanks for joining us today on the journey. We are wrapping up today a four-part series. It's not been the easiest thing to talk through, but it's been helpful to me. If you've missed any of the previous episodes, they started back on Friday, March the 4th. We'd encourage you to go back and and listen to We Do Not Know What to Pray For. It comes from Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, where the apostle Paul readily acknowledges we need the Spirit's help. We are weak, and one of the signs of the the, the weakness we all experience, our, our limitedness, is sometimes we don't know what to pray for. And so in episode number one, we just looked very briefly at the help the Spirit offers. In episode number two, March the 11th, we went back to Psalm 2 and Psalm 46 and reminded ourselves of where solid ground is. The nations may rage around us, and we have seen that throughout the month of March in our own national and international headlines. But God calls us to be still and know certain things. This past Friday, we asked, what about these imprecatory psalms where the psalmist is crying out to God, asking God to do something? Roger, we we really can't talk about those without, as disciples, talking about what our Lord Jesus the Christ tells us. Absolutely. So our, our lesson today is going to take us to Matthew 5, where Jesus talks about loving your enemy. And and this idea from Romans 8, we do not know what to say or what to pray, uh, that doesn't come in the sunshine of life. That comes from the darkness and troublesome times on the horizon, a war in Europe, uh, prices off the charts, and, and things aren't going well. And when that happens, we don't know sometimes who to pray for, who what to pray about. And so those are some thoughts that this series we hope have built upon and kind of helped you with these things. So here in Matthew 5, we come to the end of this chapter where we find Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7 is the Lord's Sermon, I believe the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher, and that was Jesus. And so he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you than what they are doing? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's go back and kind of look at some things in this text here as we kind of talk about this idea of loving our enemies. Jesus begins this section by saying, You have heard it was said. 
Uh, That's something he has said three or four times already in this chapter. It begins all the way back in verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, he said. Then verse 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Again, he'll say that in in another passage in this section here. But now when he comes down here, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's kind of a dual statement there. You shall love your neighbor is found in the book of Leviticus, and God did say that. But that attachment, hate your enemy, God never said that. And so what the Jewish rabbis through the years have done is they've taken that statement of God that you are to love your neighbor, that'd be somebody that's on my side, that's some of the political persuasion I am, someone who believes what I believe, that is my neighbor as they would define that. Anyone who's opposite of that, that's my enemy, and they have attached, it's okay to hate them. Well, Jesus right away says, no, that's not right. And what he says is, I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And as he follows, he he tells us why. He says, God, he blesses everybody. He blesses the righteous and the unrighteous. He sends his rain upon everybody. He sends his sunshine upon everybody. The the farmer who's a righteous farmer, he doesn't just have sun on his crops and his next door neighbor who's wicked has thunderstorms all day long. No, it doesn't happen. They both receive the same benefits from God. So what Jesus is emphasizing here is you have some folks who don't like you. They are your enemy. Your God in heaven blesses all of them. We need to do the same thing with that. You know, it is striking how often Jesus uses this word love in a variety of different contexts. And and ultimately, I think what he's getting at here at the end of Matthew chapter 5 is seeking the best interest of your enemy, putting even the interests of your enemy ahead of your own. And we're going to explore what that looks like here in just a moment from Romans chapter 12. But already we're being encouraged to swim upstream, right? Uh, he, He even acknowledges that it's easy to love those who love you. Now, if you do that, what reward do you have? Even tax collectors, he says in this context, uh, do the same. We all, as human beings, find it relatively natural to love those who are lovable to us and and do things for us, right? But from the very beginning of his ministry, he's teaching, not just teaching, but modeling, I want you to be a different sort of influence in this world. You talk about shining as a light in the darkness or being salt in a a rotten, decaying world. Well, this is absolutely one powerful step in that direction. And little did they know the disciples who were hearing this what was going to come down the road for them. Uh, Jesus knew. He would say later on, they're going to hate you because they hate me. And the world's going to love darkness rather than light. And so as these apostles would go into all the world, they would have enemies, not because they did something wrong, 
just because they were standing for Jesus. And so as they went off into these worlds and were preaching this gospel, this is what the Lord wanted him to be. We don't want you just to hold up in a monastery. We don't want you to build a fortress and fight back against these people. I want you to love. I want you to pray for those who do not like you. So, okay, Uh, as we take this and we put it in the uh, larger context of our four-part series, sometimes we don't know what to pray for. As we turn on the television, we look at headlines online, and we see, as you mentioned earlier, Roger, war in Europe. Uh, We heard last week about bringing these concerns to God What does it look like, let's say, in the life of Jesus, first of all? Are there any episodes in Jesus' life where he demonstrated what it looks like and sounds like to pray even for your enemies? Well, what's interesting about that is Jesus would never give a command or admonition to his disciples without later on demonstrating it himself. He never asked us to do something he himself didn't do. And so when he asked us to pray for our enemies, he did that. And when you ask when, the foremost occasion comes to our mind when he's on the cross. And he, he prays, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so here was the very people that were going to take his life, and yet Jesus was praying for them. And that, that is really the mountaintop of this illustration of how God wants us to do the same, to not be resentful, not to be hateful, but to be prayerful for those who do not like us. All right. So let's treat that example of Jesus on the cross as a kind of bridge and go from Matthew chapter 5 to Romans chapter 12. We started this whole series in Romans chapter 8, and we're encouraged, obviously, to pray even when the praying is hard. Here is the front part of Jesus' instructions there in Matthew chapter 5, loving our enemies when the loving is hard. And and what does that sound like? Roger, what do you see in Romans chapter 12 that would help us put some practical application on Jesus's call to love and to pray for those who uh, would consider themselves our enemies? Let's, let's notice the last few verses, Romans 12. Let me read it. And then we're going to peel off some layers here. I want you to notice two times the apostle says never. So it begins in verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For as written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry... Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, so I think the principle is that last statement, and that is, do not become, don't be overcome by evil. Somebody does something wrong to me, I'm going to get evil to him back. He he does something to me, I'm going to do it back to him. Just back and forth, and that war never ends. A tick for attack, we might say. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He does me evil, 
I'm going to pray for him. He does me evil, I'm going to do good for him. That's the concept I think that Paul is trying to illustrate through the teachings of Jesus. Now, in this, there are two principles here that we need to notice. First of all, if possible, verse 18, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. If there's an enemy, it's not going to be because of me. It's because of him. I'm going to do all that I can to be peaceable. I'm not going to push the buttons. I'm not going to pick the scabs. I'm not going to say things, interrogate, and, 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 and irritate people. If possible, I'm going to be at peace with all people. Now, we know what it's like. There's some people who walk around with a chip on their shoulder, and they dare you to knock it off. They dare you to get in an argument with them, and they, they challenge you to do that. Well, that's not the disciples. We're not doing that. And then the second principle through these wonderful verses are, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Uh, Some people have gotten so much even that there's nothing left for God to do. And so we need to see that. Now, this flows right into the 13th chapter where he talks about the role of the government. And there, as he talks about the role of the government, one of the principles of the government is to punish evildoers. So when someone has done me wrong, let the authorities take care of it. Let God take care of it. I'm going to do good. I'm going to pray. I myself am not going to be the instrument to make things right. You know, there are some challenging things here. (laughs) But as I'm listening to you and and just looking at these verses, um, it is simultaneously challenging but also comforting for me to see, okay, evil is acknowledged in Romans chapter 12, the the presence of evil. And uh, tragically, we have had a, a front row seat to that basically over the last month or so as just image after image and video after video of innocent men, women, and children uh, on the other side of the globe are are losing their lives. Um, evil is real. And I think it is so important for us to have spent that time last Friday in the Psalms as a validation of it's okay to be heartbroken by evil. It is okay to be distressed by the presence of evil in the world. In fact, it's okay to be so distressed that you don't know what to pray for in those scenarios. You know, that's what basically uh, uh, what amounts to a couple of hours worth of conversation now (laughs) has, has been all about. But Romans chapter 12 also ultimately, like you said, Roger, ends with the wrath of God. Evil is real. Uh, We need to be sensitive, open, tender hearts to the plight of those uh, that that evil is, is knocking on their doorsteps. But we also need to be governed by an awareness that the wrath of God is coming. Now, as I think through this, that leads me then to what I, as best I can tell, is a fork in the road. Okay, am I now, as a child of God, to be an instrument of his wrath? Am I to hasten that wrath and and be, you know, the, the tip of the sword of that wrath? Or 
am I to seek to overcome in a different sort of way? And of course, you you read to us the last verse there of Romans chapter 12 that points us in the second direction. Do not be overcome by evil. Evil is real. Our responsibility, number one, is not to be overcome by it, but to be overcomers by practicing what is good. And I think by that phrase, overcome, I think what it means is, don't you become evil because of evil. Yeah. You know, don't, don't you become mean because of meanness. Don't you become prejudiced because of prejudice. Don't you become haters because of hatred. Uh, th- these things are out there, but they don't change who you are. And, and again, the example of that's Jesus. I mean, he had people spitting on him. There's a time in his life where nearly everything he was said was challenged and questioned, but we don't see Jesus becoming like that. He he isolated himself from all that by reminding that he was righteous and he remained righteous with God. And that's what we have to do. Uh, you know, it, it's so easy for us to see this war in Europe and just, just say, you know, I hate all Russians. I just hate all Russians. And maybe I have a neighbor who, who has some connections to Russia. So in the middle of the night, I'll go out and egg his car. Well, what good is that going to do? <laughs> and, and that, that's not going to promote peace. And I have just turned out my light. Uh, if I do that and imagine a month later asking him to come to church with me, absolutely that's not going to happen. So, so what happens is we become overcome by evil. We, we become so angry ourselves that we lose sense and justice and judgment. And we start taking matters into our own hands. That happened a lot of times in the old West. Somebody was arrested for stealing a horse or a cow and he was in jail and people got so riled up that they had a mob and they broke into the jail and pulled the guy out and they hung him. They found out a lot of times they hung the wrong guy because they did not let justice prevail. So there's certain matters God's going to iron out, and we have to let God do that. So what helps me with Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 is seeing how he conducted himself on the cross. You you brought that up earlier. Um, what helps me with Paul in Romans chapter 12 is seeing Paul, for instance, in Acts chapter 24, in in flesh and blood. Uh, He's standing before a corrupt government official named Felix. And I use the word corrupt because by the end of the chapter, Luke tips us off that basically Felix, though he is alarmed by what Paul says, basically just keeps Paul flapping in the wind, hoping that given enough time, he'll be bribed, right? He'll, he'll get paid off and, and allow Paul to, to be set free. Rather than simply doing the right thing, here is a, a man in a position position of power who's hoping to be bribed. So what does Paul do? How how can you be the light? How can you love the unlovable in, in that sort of scenario? Well, what I see Paul doing in Acts chapter 24 and verse 25 is speaking the truth to Felix in love precisely what he calls all of us to do, right? He reasons with Felix about righteousness and self-control 
and the coming judgment. Now, there are some who would have us to believe in the 21st century that that's aggression. That's that's not love. That's imposing on somebody else. Where, in fact, Roger, if where we started and what we've talked a lot about in this series, that everyone is created in the image of God. If evil is real and the wrath of God is coming, then the most loving thing I can possibly do is show them by my manner of life and tell them with my God-given mouth about the right thing, about applying the right thing, because judgment is coming. So, again, back to the concept of our whole whole series here, I don't know what to pray. Uh, Pray for a change of heart. Yeah. Pray pray that that the the enemy changes. Pray that God will put something in their mind to see what it should be before them. Pray, as Matthew 5, verse 16 says, that through our good works they may see what we do and glorify God. That not because of us they become more of an enemy, not because of us they become more hateful, but because of us they see God. And those are the things that we have to remind ourselves and put before us. You know, what so often happens is we want justice, and we want justice right now. And sometimes our lack of trust in our legal system and those things, we think, well, well, there will never be justice, so I've got to do something. But we remind ourselves, Paul says, never take your own revenge. The book of Revelation, particularly the end of it, shows us that God wins, and the Satan there was using the evil Roman Empire. And there's a series of beasts and all kinds of evil and corrupt things. And they're just harming Christians. But at the very last three or four chapters of Revelation, all of them face God. All of them see the wrath of God. All of them, including the devil himself, are dealt with. So we need to let God do things in his way and in his time. We are not the Lord, and we need to make some patience for what God is going to do. Could be God's patience so these people will turn. Could be God's waiting for us to let our light shine so they'll start thinking those things. So pray for ourselves as well. Pray that we'll have the right attitude, the right spirit. Pray that we won't be evil ourselves and fighting evil. And pray that we will show Jesus in all the things that we do. You know, it is, um, it reminds me of something that we talked about here recently in our uh, building blocks track of studies, how Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 describes God's intense desire to be reconciled to sinners. And Paul describes the ministry of the apostles as a ministry of reconciliation. And he he makes clear that not just the apostles, but through the lives of ordinary Christians, God is making his appeal through us be reconciled to him. Maybe that is a powerful thing that each one of us can pray today that we ourselves would be humble, that we ourselves would be good examples, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, and ultimately that even in the midst of evil and brokenness all around us, that someone somewhere would be reconciled to God today. We are talking not just about 
bodies, not just about fleshly armies, not just about nations. We're talking about souls, souls that will spend eternity somewhere, either with God or separated from him. And so that's a challenging thing before us. I mean, there's some things God tells us it's easy to do, but there's some things God tells us that are very, very hard. And this is one of those hard things, to love your enemy, to pray for them, to pray for those who persecute us, as he would say at the end of the Beatitudes. Those are things that God wants us to do, and we need to realize how important that is. What do we say? We say that we pray for them, we pray for ourselves, we pray for peace. Those are some things that we can all pray. We do not know what to pray for. What a powerful uh, acknowledgement there in Romans chapter 8. But Roger, I appreciate you joining me today in the last a few Fridays helping me think through this. We appreciate the encouraging feedback that we have gotten from so many of you. Uh, we are are just two fallible people who are exploring with open Bibles and trying to help you along the way. But I know this has been helpful to me. We hope that even today's episode has helped you set your mind on things above and given you a little more fuel for the journey. If you found it helpful, we would certainly love it if you would share with others. But we encourage you today to always remember, when you're walking with Jesus, you're heaven-bound, and the best is yet to come.